Welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. My name is Marjorie Frymouth, and we have a very special episode for many reasons, a lot of things going on today. The first of which, I am back from my Europe trip. I know I maybe not hyped it, but just sort of (laughs) mentioned it continually for the past few episodes that I have this trip coming up, and these are the things that I'm thinking about and what's going on and everything. So the trip happened, and I am back. And it was wonderful. And I know it's such a cliche. People have been asking me, how was the trip? And I'm always like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. But it really, really was. And I'm going to talk through some of the highlights of the different places that I went and everything. But one of the main things that I think kind of in retrospect looking back is that I cannot believe that I did not get COVID. That is just unbelievable to me with the number of airplanes that I was in. And I wore a mask like the whole time that I was on the airplanes, even the long flights and just, you know, like out in public and on public transportation, but not even to mention the hostels. Like I stayed in what three different hostels throughout that trip, sleeping in rooms with, you know, half a dozen, a dozen other strangers for nights on end. And somehow I did not get COVID. And there were some nights where people were just like coughing and coughing and you just like makes you crawl out of your skin these days. Um, But yeah, somehow I did not get COVID. Although the U.S. actually lifted the negative COVID test entry requirement like two days before I was going to fly back to the U.S. So I, you know, as far as I know, I wasn't sick, so it wouldn't have been a problem anyway, but it definitely relieved um, one of the hassles with, you know, getting to the airport and flying and everything with not having to get that negative COVID test 24 hours before I flew. So that was just the the cherry on top of a really great trip was not getting COVID and not having, having to get the negative test to fly. So All in all, it was really fantastic. So I flew out from uh, Colorado to Dallas. I had a layover in Dallas-Fort Worth, which was the first time I'd ever been there. And boarding that flight to Dublin, I experienced something that I had never encountered before, facial scanning as your boarding pass to get on the airplane. So our flight was delayed by a couple hours and when we were finally ready to board, you know, there's like several hundred people because it's one of those huge, I don't know, Boeing Dreamliner or something like that. And they started the normal boarding process, scanning uh, scanning boarding passes, and I think looking at passports too. They usually do that at the gate for international flights. And then about like a quarter of the way through the process, they said they made an announcement that they were switching to biometrics. And I was like, huh, don't know what, never heard that before. And what it meant was that you did not show your boarding pass. You did not show your passport. You just walked up to, it was more like a screen than kind of like a camera, but you walked up to the screen and stood there, pulled your mask down if you were wearing one. And then it gave the agent standing on the other side, the yay or nay for if you could board. And it was bizarre. And I'm guessing that you probably could have opted out if you wanted to, uh, but they didn't offer that as an option. They just said, we're doing this. I'm not naive about this. I know that we're tracked everywhere. I know that all of our data is tracked and all of our photos and everything, especially through social media and, you know, like driver's licenses and IDs, everything is in databases. I'm aware of that. But what I was not sure of at first was where they were scanning, like, what they were comparing to, what they were comparing your face to, uh, to know whether you should be on this flight or not. And I guess it would be our passport information that we provided for check-in. 
Although I was able to check in just totally online or through the app, I didn't do it with an agent. So I never actually showed my passport to anyone. They were just able to pull my passport data, I guess, and then use that as reference to my face, even though my passport photo is years and years old. Um, so that was interesting. And I did a little bit of research into it after the fact. And I guess it has been around since the end of 2020. They've been u- using this in select airports for select airlines. It's not across the board yet. And of course, um, facial recognition and biometrics is used a lot more if you have like the high level airplane, whatever, whatever club, you know, if if you're a high caliber flyer, you can often opt into doing biometrics to like check in or check your bag or anything like that. But it's a little bit rarer to use it across the board just for like boarding the plane like they did in Dallas. So that was definitely interesting. And I would love to hear if anyone has encountered that before or if it's something that was like normal or if anyone explained it to you. To me, it just really caught me off guard. And I was like, whoa, it's been a long time since I've been traveling, but I sort of polled my Instagram uh, audience to see if anyone had encountered this before, and no one had. Um, Everyone was just as kind of surprised or maybe freaked out by it as I was. So that was definitely interesting as well. So my first stop in Europe was Ireland. I was in Dublin, and that was just a few days to enjoy myself because I lived there for like six months um, many years ago, and so I just I just wanted to see Dublin again. So that was purely for my own enjoyment. It was great because there was no pressure to like see or do anything specific. I just wanted to relax and enjoy the city a little bit. I went to the cobblestone a couple times, the classic pub, and got to hear some some live music sessions and talk to people, and it was just great. I met up with a friend from college who happened to be there at the same time, so that was really cool to see her. Uh, I did some hiking, and from Dublin, I flew to Edinburgh, where I was house-sitting, taking care of two cats for 10 days, and while I was there, that was sort of the place where I did most of my work. I'm going to talk about the remote work in a little bit, but because I was there for the longest amount of time and was in a house instead of in a hostel or Airbnb, that was really where I did the bulk of my online work. So my days were kind of divided between like working in the morning and then going out to see or do something in the afternoon. And it wasn't my first time in Edinburgh. So again, there was a little bit less of that pressure to see or do anything, but I've not, I've not spent much time there at all. And it was many, many years ago that I was there. So it was sort of a a new experience for me seeing different parts of the city and, you know, things that I didn't remember or had missed the first time around. I did do one day trip from Edinburgh. I went to Glasgow. Um, That was a little bit underwhelming. It was a gray, rainy day when I was there, and I was just in one of those moods where I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't crack the nut that is the city. I couldn't figure it out. Um, it just seemed like there wasn't anything that I was interested in seeing or doing. Um, one great thing about Scotland that I learned on this trip, though, is that most of their museums are free. Uh, So I did go into a museum while I was in Glasgow and many others in Scotland. I I just think that's incredible that museums are free there. And Glasgow is also known for having murals. So there were lots of cool murals to look at. But overall, I was just like not in a great mood when I was there and felt like I really wasn't getting the city, wasn't getting why the city is great. Not that it isn't. I just I knew that I wasn't the one understanding that. 
And overall, my time in Edinburgh just felt more like sort of everyday and commonplace than in the other places. And 10 days is not long at all to be in a new location, but because it was slightly longer than the other places that I was going, I just sort of got into a routine. And also with being in a house, you sort of feel more like you live in a place. So it was cool to just have like my daily routine and try all the coffee shops in the neighborhood that I was at and, you know, be doing my own work and just sort of feel a little bit more, maybe like I was seeing a slightly different side of the city than I would have if I had stayed in a hostel or, you know, been in a more touristy area. So Edinburgh was kind of my like segment to relax on the trip. And then from Edinburgh, I flew to Paris with my partner and... Paris was definitely the most like vacation-y of the whole trip. I think just because I was there with him and we were sort of like on vacation in a in a way that we hadn't been before. So we were, you know, strolling around the city and eating pastries and ordering croissants and ice cream. And we stopped at like an outdoor farmer's market kind of place the first morning and just got a, a container of strawberries and we're like eating strawberries as we walked around. So it was really like Paris was sort of the quintessential vacation-y, daydreamy spot. Overall, I don't really know that I have a good handle or perspective on what the city is like. Someone asked me yesterday, like, what did you think of Paris? And I was like, well, I don't really know. I don't, not that I didn't see much of it, but it didn't, overall, it didn't have one Um, like perspective to me. It wasn't like, oh, Paris was this. Paris was what I expected or Paris wasn't what I expected. It was more about like what I was doing when I was there. I also met up with Trail of the Wanderlust, Rachel, who has been on this podcast a couple times and I met through Instagram. She lives outside of Paris. I think technically in Paris, we agreed. She's a Parisian, Um, but we met up in the city and it was really cool to hang out with her and finally meet in person. And it's really great that social media can fuel actual connections sometimes. I also got to go to the, well, to the ballet at the National Opera House, got one of those like last minute 20 euro nosebleed seats to the ballet that was performing that night. So that was really, really cool. And the first day that I was there, my partner and his sister suggested that we go out for Taiwanese food, which sounds totally random. One thing I will say about Paris is that they are obsessed with Asian food. It seems like the Asian food craze has only recently made it to Paris. So there were like Japanese and Thai and Vietnamese and Taiwanese restaurants everywhere, like bubble tea. Bubble tea is just becoming a thing in Paris. So we got to talking about my time in Taiwan and they were like, well, why don't we go out for Taiwanese food tonight? And I was like, there are Taiwanese restaurants. It's never even occurred to me that there would be like actual Taiwanese restaurants somewhere else. Not only was there a Taiwanese restaurant to go to, there was a choice. I had to choose between like four or five different places that were just nearby in our vicinity. So that was a really, really great And just, of course, the food overall in Paris was amazing. The pastries every morning and the cheese shops and the, oh, it's, it's incredible. From Paris, I took the train to Belgium. My first stop in Belgium was Bruges for a couple days. And I will say that I have now seen the movie in Bruges, but I had not seen it when I went to Bruges. And, um... I, I don't know what to think. It, it does a really good job of painting the city as the fairy tale that it is, but it's also just like so twisted and dark that I can't really uh, 
justify it with the delightful, charming city that Bruges actually is, although I know that's kind of the whole point. But Bruges really just is a fairy tale. The architecture is incredible, and the old city and all the small streets and cobblestones and chocolate and just really they they just give away chocolate in Belgium you just you cannot avoid the chocolate anytime I ordered coffee I was given a chocolate with it sometimes when I was deciding what chocolate to buy they would just give me chocolate while I tried to make a decision Uh, they are really just drowning in chocolate there and it is all absolutely incredible probably the highlight of my time in Bruges was seeing none other than Rick Steves himself this was so bizarre I was it was my first day there I'd been doing sort of a self-guided walking tour where I downloaded the map onto Google Maps and just like followed it myself and could tap onto the locations and read about them and everything it was really cool a really great way to do it And I was at my last location, um, oh shoot, off the top of my head, I don't remember what it's called, but it's a really famous bridge. It's where most of the pictures of Bruges are taken. And I sort of just like leaned against the the railing, um, the stone, stone railing of the bridge and realized that there was a gentleman about like eight feet away from me, um, talking to a film crew by film crew, just like one person with a camera and one other person with one of those light things that directs the light. And he was talking about the history of Bruges and like Catholics and Protestants. And I realized, I think I recognize him. I think that's Rick Steves. And so I'm sitting there and I surreptitiously like Googled him just to double check. I'm like looking at my phone, looking at him like, yeah, that is Rick Steves. And he finished his little segment. He's kind of packing up. And this couple near us, you know, engaged him in conversation. And they were um, thoroughly monopolizing his time, shall we say. And I'm just sitting there like this little fangirl just staring. And I, you know, I knew that he, you don't. I'm of the opinion that you should never go up and annoy celebrities, but I also think it's fine to just like drop a quick little thing about how they've impacted your life. And I just wanted to say to him that his travel guide got me through the UK and Ireland a decade ago on my first solo trip. And like, I haven't stopped traveling since. Um, But I knew he was trying to get away. He even said like, we need to go to the next location before we lose the light. And this couple like didn't want to stop talking to him. So I, you know, I didn't get my chance, but he definitely noticed how much I was staring because as they walked away, he's like said bye to me. Like, why have you been staring at me? Bye. And I was just like, like no words came out of my mouth because I didn't know what I was trying to say. So I just like mumbled at him. Um, But it was a really great experience for someone who loves travel and has been in this world for a long time and has used Rick Steves information and guides and all that. It was definitely a a celebrity fangirl moment for myself. So from Bruges, I went on to Brussels. Now, I really had no idea what to expect from Brussels, and coming out of Bruges, it was a little bit surprising. Not surprising, but just Bruges is such a fairy tale, such like this old world European touristy, but also legit fairy tale. And Brussels was a lot more like raw, um, even compared to other European capitals that I've been in. I don't like I don't know how to describe it without stereotyping or feeling like I'm bashing it, which I don't mean to because I really enjoyed it. But there was just a lot. It was a little bit grungier and you could see a lot more 
um, like social inequality and poverty, there were a lot more people begging on the streets. And as far as I remember, most of the people that were were begging were um, ethnic minorities and, you know, people of color. So it definitely had that element to it where it was like, this is not the fairy tale. This is real life, even though it's still, you know, it, it definitely still has the architecture. It has a glorious um city square, town square, just absolutely incredible, stunning buildings and everything. But I couldn't immediately place it in a certain way. But I was there for long enough that I did, you know, I sort of got my way around, got my legs under me there and um, definitely enjoyed it. I will say I had the most incredible walking tour. Highly recommend Um, the guide was just fantastic and he didn't shy away from the, the negative history of Belgium. In addition to lots of like fun stories and fun facts about the, the city and the history and the buildings that we were seeing, he definitely delved into the atrocities committed by the monarch, but in the name of the country and, you know, told us that he didn't want us to forget that this was also a part of Belgium's history and a part of his history. Um, And so that was uh, good. (laughs) I don't know a better way to say, you know, it wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't fun, but it was really good, I think. And it was definitely something that I took to heart as an American, um, you know, feeling like I want us to recognize all of the atrocities that we have done and are doing um, or our country is doing, but we are to some extent a part of as well. So anyway, Brussels was was great. I ate chocolate every single day I was there. Um, I had a Lambic beer. Um, oh, shoot. I don't remember how to say this. Mo- motor? 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 <laughs> um, which is like the the most classic of Lambic beers and can only be made in that region, region of Belgium. So that was delicious. I did have the fries when I was in Bruges. Uh, but overall, I would say my favorite, my favorite of the stereotypes. So we have the beer, the fries, the chocolate, and the waffles. So the chocolate was probably my favorite. I ate chocolate every single day I was there. I tried to diversify and try different chocolatiers and everything. I definitely had my favorites. Um, So the chocolate was the most everyday accessible, the most everyday favorite, but obviously I had a waffle as well. And fun fact, Belgium, Belgian waffles are not the most popular waffle in Belgium. In fact, they are the liege waffles, which are the slightly, slightly crunchier because they have like bits of sugar in them and they're not like a perfect circle. You know, the Belgian, Belgian waffles, you get that like circular shape, but the liege waffles have like the the frayed uneven edges. I don't know if that's a good way to describe it, but I had a liege waffle and the classic way to have them is only with powdered sugar, but they just have all these toppings. So I couldn't resist. I had whipped cream and hazelnuts and it was incredible. It was so good. I have never, it was like almost caramelized. It was just fantastic. So The waffles and the chocolate were both my top contenders, but I feel like pieces of chocolate you can eat every day, but those kind of waffles, you can't have them every day. So the chocolate was more accessible in my mind. So from Brussels, I flew back and I was honestly excited to come home, but not like desperate to come home. I was still enjoying every day in Brussels just as much as I had been enjoying Dublin at the beginning of the trip. I mean, I was gone for a month and I didn't even realize that was going to be the case. For some reason, I thought it was like three weeks or three and a half weeks, but it was a whole month. 
And I wasn't burnt out at all. I think I finally realized that as much as I want to see and do as much as I can, that's not sustainable. Because in the past, when I've been traveling in years past, I would wake up in the morning like early you know, like seven in the morning, get up and go to try to squeeze as much into my day as possible. But then by, you know, 2 p.m., I'm just burnt out and all I want to do is nap at the hostel. So I think I've learned how to pace myself better, but also having the work to do, you know, having my remote work forced me to slow down a little bit and only do like half a day doing touristy things or something like that. So that really helped me just pace myself and made it so that I, I I wasn't burned out. I don't know. That's the only way I can say it. Um, I still had all of my energy and my pep and my excitement for the trip. So that is great to know that I can do the long-term stuff because I think this was actually the longest I've ever travel traveled, like not lived in a place or stayed for a month or two, but like actually been on the road in hostels and everything. So that was very reassuring to me. Overall, I would say the working while traveling was a success. I mean, I was able to work in hostels. I worked a couple times like from my bed or also in their common areas or like the dining room area. I worked in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport when my flight was delayed by three hours. I popped open my computer and was like, well, let's make some money. Fun fact, though, I still spent more on food during that layover than I was able to make because airport food is so expensive. But yeah, it was good to be able to do that. I also worked again in Dallas on my way back and then also, of course, in Edinburgh while I was house sitting. So overall, it was a success and I didn't, you know, I certainly didn't fund this trip. Um, with the work I was doing. It was sort of an experiment. It was nice to still have some paychecks coming in weekly um, while I was while I was traveling and spending lots of money. So that was great. And I will definitely keep sharing more about how that progresses. Um, I want to do some longer, like based in one place kind of trips coming up in the next few months or maybe in the fall and just be able to work um, a mostly normal work schedule and, you know, keep making a a regular income while I'm doing that. So I would count that one as, as a success. So trip news is over and now to actually the biggest news of this episode. Oh boy, I don't even know how to say this. Going out your door will be taking an indefinite hiatus. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately as I try to get into the swing of normal life. And of course, for me, normal life, including traveling and day trips and all of that, and also really ramp up my working schedule so that I can, you know, actually make a livable income. I've been feeling for, you know, the past few episodes, past few months that I haven't been putting out the quality that I want to, mostly in terms of all of the research that needs to go into things. You know, I I want to be putting out information and episodes that is really, really beneficial and is not just surface level. Um, And to do that would require a huge time commitment that just doesn't squeeze into my life in any way right now. So I am so incredibly proud that I have kept this going for over a year and have never missed a week that was not like planned into my schedule. So I'm giving myself a huge round of applause and pat on the back personally. I hope you have enjoyed it and it has been beneficial for you as well. I personally am always happy to talk travel. You know, these episodes are going to remain active and up on all of your podcast sites. 
The email address will still be active. Of course, the going out your door Instagram account is also my personal Instagram account. So that's still going to be active. It's still going to be loosely based around travel and all of the adventures that I am going on. So of course, I would love to talk about anything travel related with you. You can always still use those um, email addresses or comments on the going out your door blog or through Instagram, Facebook, any of those happy to give my perspective and my advice such as it is and such such as it's worth. Um, all of that is still totally available. And, you know, I encourage you, I would love for you to reach out to me. I sort of found on my trip that I didn't have the drive to talk about travel in an organized way. I wanted to share like the feelings and the experiences. I didn't necessarily want to compile the data and the information and the, you know, top ways to do this or best ways to do that. It was more wanting to share experiences and less about wanting to share Um, step-by-step information, if that makes sense. So that's, of course, what I'm still going to be doing through like the Instagram account and everything. And again, I say indefinite hiatus because never say never. I still have a list of like hundreds of topics that I wanted to talk about for, for every for every episode that I recorded, I added another topic to the list. So there is still plenty of content out there if I'm ever in a place to come back to it where I have the time to commit and really put in the quality that I want to and that you all deserve. So I guess there's really not much more to say. Thank you so much for joining me on this wild ride throughout the past year plus. I hope you have gotten something useful out of it. If it has in any way impacted any trip that you've taken, please, please tell me about it. I would really love to hear that. And I hope you'll stick around on Instagram and see what I get up to. Like I said, I want to plan a substantial trip for this fall and definitely some more local U.S. trips throughout the summer. Of course, now it's like blisteringly hot here in Colorado and much of the American West. So trying to figure out where I want to go um, in relation to all of that. But there's definitely still going to be travel happening. The travel, I, I should say, actually, not only is the travel not stopping with the podcast stopping, the travel might be increasing now that the podcast is stopping. I could keep going and going as is always the case, but a heartfelt thank you again and wishing you all the best and safe travels. This is Going Out Your Door.